Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all. Hello, and welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode 230, and you might be on the website saying, that doesn't make sense. But we've had some technical difficulties, and we've missed a few episodes, but I've been told that you can find them online very soon. So this is, in fact, 230, and I'm not the only one here. I'm seated around this square plaid table with a nice felt here next to Greg. Hi. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Greg, we've made jokes recently about how G- Greg is a big, heavy breather. I'm a loud breather. A very loud. Every time Greg makes a point when he preaches, he breathes. He takes a moment, he pauses, and he sucks in oxygen. Sorry that I need oxygen to speak. <laughs> What so you, that, oh, hey, you. hey guys, I can make another point. <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> so that's Andy Steiger. Good to be here. And this is Dr. J. Whoa. Oh, making it rain. Like, you like that, eh? Yeah. Hmm. Dr. Buckley. Yeah. How many people call you that? Uh, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go and you spend... That's the, the funny thing about being getting a doctorate when you are in Christian ministry. Because you spend all your time and effort doing it, and then you're never allowed to use the title because people think, oh, you're so oh, pompous. Prideful. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Except on your slides, if you're doing a lecture somewhere, it's always like, you know, your topic and then the speaker and the date, and it's you can throw it in there. I notice that a lot. Doctor, so they do it. They do it. Yeah, if you're at a conference, they'll do it so that everyone will listen to you. Yeah. Think that you're important. I went to a conference where I actually, I, I hold a doctorate. And I went there and had all the other speakers were Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, and and I was Pastor Bucknam. And I stood up and I was making a point. Well, I was making a point about the gospel and how it the gospel become means that Jesus is our our justification, our righteousness, our purpose, our meaning, right? And how deceitful sin is because it wants to relocate our feelings of of our purpose and, and meaning on other things. And I said, like, when I walked into this building, I saw the list of speakers, and I'm one of the speakers, and everybody else is doctor, but my pastor, and I'm a doctor. Like I, so I was like, I, even when I walked in, I was thinking, should I go and tell someone this? And then I felt really bad for thinking that, because I was thinking, why, why would it matter? But then I was like, well, but it does matter. I worked hard mm. to get that doctorate. Anyway, they all laughed and then started making fun of me. All the people who were there. Case in they point. F- made fun of me. Oh, hello, doctor. So what's the next then? After a doctorate, then what? Do you know it all? King. Are you there? King. <laughs> King. L- Lord. King. Lord. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can't wait till I get there. Lord Jeff. Yeah. I, <laughs> you'd fit in well in England. Oh. Like well, I want to be knighted. You, that would be Sir great. Sir Jeff. Yeah. Sir Doctor. What do, I, what do I have to do? To be Play knighted? the piano really well and dress yeah. in funny outfits, right? Sing rock, Sir, Sir Elton John. Sing rock, you know, gotta man. become a billionaire. I could be your jester. You could, Sir Jeff. Would you guys? Why do you guys knight me? Sure, I will never do that. Oh, I got, <laughs> with the butter knife. I got British roots. I'm sure I'm able to do that. <laughs> sure. Anyways, so, we're also here with the silent, and you'll never know Matt Crocker, but he's here nodding with his headphones. So he makes sure we all sound good. So if we sound great, that's because of Matt. If we sound like not great. That's also because of Matt. So mcrocker at northview.org for your feedback. Listen, if you ever want to send in did thoughts or questions. Andy? I did. Oh. Briefly, right? Mm. He just, we didn't really pay attention to him because he's not a doctor. Yeah. Meh. Thanks, guys. 
you and me, we're just kind of down here. Anyways, like I was saying, uh, if you've got stuff for us, current events, questions, theology, Bible questions, send them in, write us, uh, extra at northview.org. We'd be happy to uh, delve into them. Sometimes we get an influx of questions, sometimes we get lots, sometimes we get very little, so if we don't answer it that week, just wait the next week and the next week, but we'll get there. So why don't we start it off here? Uh, this listener sends in a question about just talking about sermons and listening to podcasts while you're exercising or driving, uh, and just wants to know if there's some particularly good ones that uh, Jeff would recommend, preachers oh, or yeah. teachers, and then if there's any that the rest of us, the extra gang, would recommend. Well, well let's the, start with you, Jeff. The extra podcast is the first recommendation. Um, <laughs> now, yeah, you know, so I, I listen to some podcasts that I don't recommend, mm. And so I'm not sure that I'm the best person to give answers to this because I, I listen to some podcasts uh, for several reasons. Um, and I'm not saying I listen to some podcast about gambling and whatever. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. I listen to a lot of soccer podcasts because I'm really into Arsenal. Uh, but I also listen to a lot of podcasts about f- from preachers who, who would not be considered uh, preachers that I would recommend in any way. So, um, I will tell you some of the ones that I really, I really think that, uh, Tim Keller's podcast, um, I think it's called Gospel and Life podcast. Am I right about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, I, I just, I find Tim Keller to be one of the best communicators in the world. So I love, I like listening to him. Uh, I used to listen to Matt Chandler quite a bit. Uh, I find him to be both, uh, in- engaging. He's funny. He's also got a lot of really great things to say. He's a good, good Bible teacher. Um, and he's young, so I like that. I learned I learned things from him and how to communicate. I've appreciated that. Uh, Village Church, I think, is what it's called. Locally, mm-hmm. I'm going to recommend a couple of local guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would recommend to you uh, uh, Norm Funk from Westside Church in Vancouver, and probably Mark Clark from Village Church in Surrey uh, would be the two guys that I think do are doing really good work in in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee Francois also at Crossridge, which is a smaller church, but uh, I think he's really good. He's he's a really good Bible teacher. Mm. Cool. You guys, anybody else? By the way, I think it's really important to, I like we we have locally some people who are who are as as good as all the big name mm. folks around mm. in terms of their their Bible teaching, and I, I I always feel bad in some ways for guys like like. Uh, Norm, who I think should be get got got he should have a wider listenership to his sermons. He's not aiming that way, nor am I, nor nor are others. But but I'm always surprised that people will listen to some people out of Texas as opposed mm-hmm. to Norm, who I mm-hmm. think is equal to them in in his ability. There's a there's a website of a bunch of local uh, men and women who are involved in ministry. It's called Grounded in the Gospel. Uh, a lot of people that we would be really um, hold a lot of similar convictions with. So you can actually go to groundinthegospel.com and look through their contributors. There are a lot of really good teachers and, and preachers and writers there. Uh, two more to add to the list uh, locally uh, through Ground of the Gospel, you can see their names. One, uh, David Smith from Crossway yep. and Langley. Uh, he's got a British accent thing going on. Scottish. It's not British. Scottish. Whatever, he's Scottish. See, now he's not going to No, it matters. It's different, right? No, I they know. They were trying I, to secede. No, I know. So it's, it, yeah, it's, it's there's different. a big nationalist thing going yeah, there. All right. You just probably created an national, international incident. So he's a British guy named no, David. Yeah, Scottish. 
Okay, whatever. <laughs> Maybe he could knight you. He probably could. Oh, okay, who's the, who's the second one? Uh, the other one is uh, Steve Croker's a guy who's out at Twasson Alliance uh, Church. Uh, my wife grew up at Twasson Alliance Church, so sometimes we go out there, and every time we go out there, we get fed well by Pastor Croker. So mm. those are two names of some other guys locally that would be worth looking up. It's it's so Wasson, by the way. No, it's not. It is. It's so Wasson. So There's a T and a bunch of S's and W's. You know what's interesting about that? If you go south of the border, that's what they say. It's from Swasson. Swasson. But they're right. here, it's Twasson. And oh. I've, talked to, I've talked to Greg's wife about this, and she said it's a local thing. Like, you know if you're outside of Twasson, because you call it Swasson. Right. But everyone inside of <laughs> Twasson calls it Towasson. Right. Which they're, I, yeah. They're all wrong. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Drinking the Kool-Aid. But you know what? This is, one of those, this is one of those cases, the same thing. If you talk to someone who's from Louisville, okay, mm. they'll call it Louisville. But other people call it Louisville. Louisville. Right. Kentucky, even though it, when you look at it, it says Louisville. But they say, no, no, it's Louisville. And you're like, mm, <laughs> I don't know. But they always know. If, yeah. So we should let the people of those places define how you say these Have things. Have you ever read the Old Testament? What happens when you leave, leave it up to, to the people? What? Never mind. Do you have any else? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'd recommend two. If you're interested in apologetics, uh, there's two that I would recommend. Uh, one is Reasonable Faith by Bill Craig. Mm. Uh, it's a fantastic, it's Defenders Podcast, I believe is what it is. Uh, that one's fantastic resource. Um, he's been doing that for years. Um, it's, it's great, great resource. And then the other one is Apologics Canada. has a uh, podcast. I, uh, I'm on this one and uh, that one. And I think it's also a good one. Chris Battle and Steve Kim are also on that one. What, what is the, Andy, is there... Um, uh, what's the name of the website? Uh, Stand to Reason. They have some podcast stuff too. Are they any good? Greg Kokel? Yeah. Yeah, I think <clears throat> Greg Kokel's yeah, great. He has a radio show. It's like a two-hour radio show. I've never listened to their podcast, but I think Greg Kokel's fantastic. Also, uh, who he has on there quite frequently is Jay Warner Wallace, the homicide detective from Los Angeles. And in fact, he's our keynote speaker at this year's Apologetics <coughs> Canada conference. See how you did that there? See how I did Shameless that? Shameless plug. Boom. Can, can I give you any word and I'll find a way to be worked back <laughs> yeah. into your Apologetics ministry? Do, you, do I even need to answer that? <laughs> uh, this is going to be a fun game for me for the rest of the day. <laughs> the answer is yes, Greg. So <laughs> I think those are those are some good ones. Uh, you know, Timothy, I think that's the thing I like about Keller, though, is mm, Keller's a theologian, but he mixes them. Yeah, he does. Mm. You know, and so... Yeah. Um, one, one, one more, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. Uh, Brian Hurlbut's been up at our church several times. B r y a n h u r l b u t t. I know, awkward name. Mm. Um, but he he he's a pastor of a church in Salt Lake City, doing a really good work there. Uh, Brian's a really good communicator and, and a friend of yours, and and he's a friend, yeah. but but friend of the show, sharp sharp guy. <laughs> and I highly recommend you know. Hmm. That there's a lot of guys out there, I think, who aren't well known. That's why I think that's why I'm focusing on the local and, and the people that we would know that that might not mm-hmm. be well known. Because you're gonna, you know, if you go on the on the uh, top lists and stuff, you're gonna find guys like Matt Chandler and Tim Keller and these sorts of things. Yeah. But you're probably not gonna find Norm Funk and Mark Clark. Which was actually the next question: It was, "What do you guys think about Tim Keller?" So we don't need to talk about that because what? we just. Did. I shook his hand years ago, and I have, still haven't washed it. Wow. No, uh, Tim Keller's great. Uh, can I can I say one thing though about Tim Keller? Um uh there there's a book actually called Engaging with Keller that I actually would recommend a little bit because there are some things that Tim Keller teaches that are not they're not uh, wrong. They're just um <clears throat> 
I'm not, I don't know, is questionable the right way? The way that he reframes hell, the way he talks about sin is idolatry. So Some if you're interested don't. in theology, um, there's a group of theologians who are engaging with Tim Keller and what he teaches. Some of, some of it, some of the criticism, I think, uh, hits its mark, mm-hmm. and others of it doesn't. But part of the reason I want to bring it up is because I think that sometimes with the celebrities in our midst, mm-hmm. we, we treat it as if, if you say something against Tim Keller or John Piper or, I mean, pick your favorite, whatever, you're, I mean, like, honestly, you're anathema. You're criticizing one of the apostles, and I says that's not true. That's just not true at all. Mm. Their their thought is out there in the public, and it should be available for critique or not critique. And that that's I think. Well, I, I know I know these teachers well enough. I think to know that I think they would like you to mm. to cha- to challenge their thinking at least in your own mind and come to some conclusions maybe that are either the same or different than theirs. Mm-hmm. So I, it's a good book. It's called Engaging with Keller. You can get it on. Amazon or, or, or whatever else. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. So moving on, uh, this listener is part of our the Precepts program here. Been enjoying it. it what, is like. pre- what is Precepts? Precepts is a, a inductive, fairly intensive Bible study. What does inductive mean? It means they're basically, they just want to spend their time in, in the Bible, try to figure out what is the passage actually trying to teach, what's the author trying to get across based on the passages surrounding the, the text you're looking at, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's like an intensive Bible study stuff that's is, really focused on what the words of the scriptures have to say. Yes. Yeah. It, Precepts is a very intensive homework-focused Bible study ministry that we have going out through Northview. Uh, we have a women-specific precepts, and we have a men's-specific precepts, just the way it worked out, not that they couldn't do them together. It's just the way it kind of... right. Uh, played out. And if you're interested in that kind of intensive Bible study, uh, just email women at northview.org or men at northview.org and we'll get you connected with the precepts people. Anyway, so there you go. Yeah. That's what precepts are. Yep. So this this listener is part of that. Um, and this question's coming in is, is regarding Sabbath. And so the, the passage is found in Mark. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, um, why, why is it that we often don't take this seriously? Mark, the, the Mark, what's the text? Um, I don't have it in front of me. I just have okay, the, okay. The, the italics. Okay. Greg? Got it. Bible Bible drills? So what you should know uh, while you're listening is that we actually don't see the, a lot of the questions ahead of time. Some of, some of them we do if they require a little bit of uh, foresight or um, some dialogue ahead of time. We, we look at maybe one or two of them. But we usually don't see these ahead of time. So that's why we sometimes are like, oh, whatever. So, And that's not because we're trying to be lazy. We're just trying to make this as much like a pastoral conversation that you would have mm-hmm. with us if you were sitting across from us. A little more candid. Time. Yeah. So, so, so the question is, uh, Jesus, we, we know in Scripture, Jesus abolished the Sabbath. So what's this all about, and, and why don't we take it more seriously? Right. So Mar- I think that... Greg, I have, Greg's I have Matthew text. 12 which is probably the corresponding section of the Mark when they're referencing. Uh, Matthew 12, starting verse 1, says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which... It was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. 
Or have you read? Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is one of the biggest issues that the Pharisees had with him. Was Jesus was breaking the Sabbath laws in their minds, and the justification that Jesus gives is, <clears throat> is as you said, as the question said that the Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath, right? And so I, it, the question is, are, should we keep the Sabbath now? Is that is that the question? Yeah, so um, they also just mentioned that in a previous podcast. I don't know which episode it was, but we, we talked about Jesus abolishing the Sabbath. And so so what is that all about? So that they're, they're asking us to engage with the idea of abolishing the Sabbath. Right. And, and particularly with this passage. Yeah, so I I would say that that the out of the ten commandments, the one commandment that Jesus does not re-embrace at some point is is the Sabbath law, um, and so I I would say that as part of the law of Christ, that's not that's not part of it. We're not required to keep a a twenty four hour day or whatever sundown from Friday night till um is it so yeah sundown from Friday night until the next. Day so Saturday, which is the Sabbath for them, we we don't keep we don't keep that. Doesn't mean that there's <clears throat> doesn't mean that there's not principles that were part of the Sabbath that we wouldn't want to teach or value the, the value of rest, the importance of setting aside time weekly, especially for the Lord. So we do that on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. The early church started it on Sunday for that reason. But even the fact that the early church started it on Sunday should give you an indication that how they understood this issue, right? Because they would have done it on Saturday, but they right. thought to themselves, no, actually, actually, uh, the Lord rose on Sunday, so we celebrate Resurrection Sunday every week, which is funny, too, because sometimes on Easter, we're like, oh, let's celebrate the Resurrection this one time a year. No, we do it every single week. Mm-hmm. We celebrate the risen, risen Christ. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a long way of saying that, yeah, I, I would still stand by saying that the Sabbath is not part of what Christians are supposed to keep. Uh, how, however, there are some principles behind it that I think are still standing. So why was it then that that uh, the followers, the Pharisees, were always so upset, like Jesus was plucking heads, his disciples were plucking heads of, of grain, right? Mm. And so they're talking about, what are, you, what are you doing? You can't harvest on the Sabbath. How can you be of God if you're not obeying God's law like we do? Mm. That's what they're saying. So where do these laws, where is this coming from? Uh, you're working on the Sabbath, yeah. So there, are, if you go to the Old Testament, you'll find them the Levit- Levitical laws and other things. There's lots of laws regarding the Sabbath on how much work you can do, and it wasn't just them that it, it, the Pharisees had written out. I mean, the thing of the Pharisees were known for was trying to make the law doable by the common man. So they would write extra laws. So you had the law of God, okay, which said uh, keep the Sabbath, for example. And the Pharisees would come along and say, okay, well, what does it look like for the common man to keep the law of Sabbath? And they would add what they called the fence around that law to try to make sure that they would keep all those things, right? So, for example, you might say the Sabbath might start at sundown on a Friday night, and so you have to be in and not working before sundown. So they would say, well, let's make sure that that's the case by you being in by 2 p.m., on a Friday, that way you're not you're not actually getting even close to breaking that particular law. Hmm. So my point is, the Pharisees would write in uh, stuff like um, number of w- steps. Well, what is work? Mm, yeah. Right. So work is not work is anytime you go to not your immediate neighbor's house, but 
your next door neighbor beyond that house. So people would this start is... doing funny things like going to their neighbor's house for a little bit and then to that neighbor's house for a little bit, right? Because if you go house to house, it's not actually work. But the... and each Pharisee would have their own. Each Pharisee would have their own um, interpretation of the law and how or how much they're going to add to it or the fence, the kind of fence, as Jeff's saying, right. they would put around it. And this would be how heavy, you know, their, their interpretation. That's what Jesus says. You, you, I mean, you, you, you put... Uh, it was Matthew twenty three. He he tells them that you you bind up men's consciences. I mean, you you burden them with a law. You go across water and sea, doesn't it? land and sea to make one convert, and then you make him twice the son of hell as you are. Mm-hmm. So like, and this is where Jesus is. Well, one sorry, one of the other things then Jesus does is he challenges them because you know what what is the spirit of the law? I mean, here here they put up so many boundaries. He says, listen, you know. Who, when seeing their donkey, you know, in the you know dying in the mud on the Sabbath, yeah. is going to go out there and save their donkey, right? And and I think you know, um, th- th- this this is a challenge. One time, actually, I challenged a Jehovah's Witness on this that here Jesus is challenging these people that won't save their donkey on the the Sabbath or their mule or whatever. And I mean, here Jehovah's Witnesses will let their child die instead of taking a blood transfusion. Mm. Um, and so, just challenging them on well, what 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 was what is the spirit of the law, right? Mm. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's a long way of yeah. answering the question. But shorthand is that yeah, I stand by. I would stand by the belief that the Sabbath, at least in the Old Testament Mosaic law form, is not uh, is not a continuing thing that Christians need to keep. However, there are principles behind it that mm-hmm. we would still want to value. It's in Mark two, by the way, um, twenty six. And that's when um, he said to them, Jesus, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm. So that's where it's found. Talking about uh, it's, it's actually for our benefit, for our, for our good, rather, rather than us being a slave to the Sabbath to try, and, mm-hmm. to try and keep it. You know, when he says, at verse 28 of Mark 2, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I mean, in Mark's gospel, that's, that's, that's the main point, is that Jesus is saying that I'm, uh, look, I'm the new rule maker. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who gets who comes in and institutes. I both fulfill the law and institute a new one in my name, right? And that's essentially what he did. He embodied all the old covenant law. He fulfilled all of it. And so we serve in now the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter, to use the language that Paul does in Romans. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> you got anything to add, Greg? No, that's good. What's the next one? Are you sure you don't have anything to add? No, that's good, man. Okay. Let's talk a little bit, <clears throat> pardon me, about, about divorce, shall we? Nice, light topic. Let's do it. Um, you can open up your Bible if you want. This one I, I did look up ahead of time, Matthew 5, 31, 32, and kind of the surrounding passages talking about divorce. Of course, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so th- this particular listener has a friend uh, who's been divorced due to a previous adulterous spouse and is now getting remarried. Now it says, I have heard that adultery is an out for divorce, but uh, from my reading and study, I haven't found somewhere in scripture to, to support that, to back that. So in Matthew 5, it just seems to be a blame shift for who's at fault for the adultery rather than excuse to opt out of the commitment or a breaking of the covenant. Um, so, say that again. It, it, it seems to be a what? A shifting of the blame? In Matthew 5, it just seems to be a blame shift for who is at fault for the adultery not an excuse to get out of the covenant or the commitment. Okay, so I'm going to have to freely admit that I'm not sure I understand what the question or what the, what the argument there is. So I, I think the point that they're trying to make is that 
they would be arguing that Matthew five thirty one through 32 is not actually trying to talk about divorce, but is primarily trying to talk about adultery. I think they're mistaken, but I think that's the argument they're making is that this isn't a passage trying to talk about the conditions of divorce and when is it okay, when is it not okay. Hmm. It's just saying that if someone uh, commits sexual immorality, that, that makes you an adulterer. So can I give the broader context here? First of all, Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' point, the Sermon on the Mount is actually a sermon to a bunch of disciples. Okay? You go to the very beginning of it, and you find it is to a bunch of disciples with the backdrop of a bunch of Pharisees. In fact, the beginning of it says you have to, your, your, your righteousness needs to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. So the whole point of it is to try to elevate the law back up to its rightful place. His belief, or the Pharisees, what they did, even what we just mentioned there, is they made the law doable by the common man. But in order to do that, sometimes they would redefine things so that they weren't quite as serious as what the law law demanded, right? I just made an example of that a minute ago when I was talking about traveling. Well, it's if you travel two houses at a time, and so you did it one mm-hmm. at a time, and mm-hmm. you somehow met the law. Jesus comes along, and he actually, over a series of issues, says, you've heard it said, but I say to you... Jesus is not instituting a new law here. He's actually just going, saying, no, no, this is actually what it means. He's playing the part, actually, quite honestly, of a rabbi. Yep. Here saying, this is actually what the law demands of you. He's hooking them, bringing them in, right. and showing this His what the His overall law says. point here is that you're not good enough. <laughs> right? Exactly. That, that this, this is what the law demands. You're not good enough for it, you Pharisees. So you're going to need to figure out a way... You're going to need to figure out a way to be to be good enough, All right? So he's it, 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 he's condemning them ultimately with with the law, and so so anyway, my point here is that the wider so to say that this passage isn't necessarily about divorce is that that's not true. What it's about is trying to show what the true nature of the law is. So it should be reading it, the the way you should read these texts is wow, that's hard exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly, that's hard. So you you say that uh, do not commit adultery. You write ab- above this uh, Matthew five twenty seven. You've heard it said, "You shall not commit adultery." But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within her heart. In her heart. Oh my goodness, that sounds hard. Right, right. Because that's what the law requires. Don't try to soften it or make it easier. That's what the law requires. So in verse thirty one, it was also it, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let her give. Let him give her a certificate of divorce, right? So you can so you can divorce as long as you give a certificate, right? Mm-hmm. Easy, doable. Yep. But I say to you, verse 32, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, the Greek word porneia there, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So the question then is, what is porneia? He gives an exception here in Matthew. Mark, by the way, there's no exception. But in Matthew, there is this exception, mm-hmm. except for the ground of sexual immorality. So, interacting a little bit with the question. Yeah. Because this want, is actually a, you know, sort of real life scenario for, for somebody. Oh, absolutely. So, what I want to say is that Jesus' intention here is in no way to give somebody an out for anything. Mm-hmm. Right? He's trying to say, though, the law requires you to remain married. But he does give an exception clause. There's a whole lot of debate about what that exception clause means, except for porneia. I tend to take it as broadly as the term is. The, the term means sexual immorality. Some of sexual immorality is, is um, 
is marital unfaithfulness, is, uh, is adultery. But it's broader than that. So you can go to Leviticus 20. It has a good list of porneia. <laughs> like it's got a good long list of what kinds of things we're talking about. Bestialities in there. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think incest is in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that you can read about that includes porneia. So, so what I'm saying is it's a wider, it's a, it's a broader category than just adultery, but, it's, but it is adultery as well. Right? Yep. So... I'm saying that if you if you're arguing that the Bible doesn't there's nowhere in the Bible that you have read that gives adultery as an as a as a reason for divorce. I just quoted one passage. The very text that you're citing is making that argument. Mm-hmm. But the point, the overall point that I want to make about this passage, though, is it's not trying. To, Jesus is not trying to give you reasons for divorce. His overall point here is actually you shouldn't be divorcing like you do. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's harder than you think. So don't approach the text to say, oh, I'm looking for an excuse to be divorced. Right. But he does give, at least in this text, he does seem to give some reason for it. Yeah. And so from a pastoral perspective, um, how do we approach this? If, mm. if someone's coming up to you, and in fact, I have a friend who um, was married for about a little over a year and found out that his wife was, um, you know, sleeping with another man. And so how, how, do we, how do we engage with this? How do we... When they come up to you and, and they kind of, as Thilly would say, they present their muck, they show their cards, this is what's happening. How, how do we, what do we say? Can they now, because their husband or wife has had an affair, can they, can they then now walk away? Is it grounds for divorce? Is it not? This is a hard, it's a hard thing to answer in a podcast because we're trying to answer general rules for situational dynamics. So my, my and the, first... And the, other, and the problem with that, too, is, is we often are looking for those, right? Because, right. you know, in our hearts, we, we, we might be trying to manipulate a situation to get the, the favorable outcome that we want. Mm. Uh, and the thing that I think people need to continually remind, remember is that we're, we're seeking restoration or reconciliation. Because, because the, the overall tenor of the scriptures and the words of Jesus are, you should stay married. Okay, now not, I'm not suggesting that that's the case, and if, I believe that there are exception clauses. Mm. But the overall tenor of the Bible is that you should do whatever it takes to stay married to that person. Or well, if you do get divorced, you should stay unmarried. The, when, th- that's the overall thrust. Now, I'm, I'm citing Paul there. Mm-hmm. Paul's actually restatement of Jesus' teaching in First Corinthians 7 says that. Mm-hmm. Either stay married, or if you don't stay married, if, if you separate, don't by separate again. I mean divorce, don't get married again. Mm-hmm. That's the overall thrust. Now, please don't hear me as saying that that's the only teaching the scriptures have on this matter. There are legitimate reasons for divorce. One, porneia, being the chief of among them. Abandonment by an unbelieving spouse, 1 Corinthians 7. So there are legitimate reasons. And if you are in an abusive relationship, you should right now, you should do whatever it takes to be protected from that abusive relationship, okay? And I'm, I don't want to get into... Uh, into definitions of abuse, and this is one of the challenges in this whole mm-hmm. discussion, that someone says, well, I'm being abused because he, he or she speaks to me unkindly. So let's be real careful here mm-hmm. and embrace the idea that Jesus wants us to stay married and together. He wants us to stay married. So let's not look for excuses to get out of it. Let's look for excuses to stay in. Mm-hmm. But there are some reasons. 
And in those reasons are difficult to maneuver. And that's why we have pastors. We meet together and we deal with those particular issues. Mm-hmm. And, and we bring a team of people around the sub- subject to try to bring some counsel to that. Because like it, it's never simple. It's always messy, complicated, and needs, in, on, quite honestly, needs people to come alongside and help you to get different vantage points of what's mm-hmm. going on and wise counsel. Absolutely. And we are trying, I, I mean, and you should know that one, one of my concerns recently, quite honestly, is that I, I'm, I'm frightened that people uh, are, are not forthright with the challenges of their marriage mm-hmm. ahead of time. And, and so they wait until it's time they feel like there's no hope and there's no way for us to get back. And there's so much water now under the bridge and so many unkind things that have been said and done that we're now hooped. Yeah. And now we come to the church to seek some sort of help as almost this last ditch effort. And, and sometimes I, the, the approach for help is just to wanting to hear a validation of what they've already determined in their mind. Right of this is the outcome I want to see happen, and so I'm mostly just looking for the church's validation that right. this is the right way. Marriage is hard. I, I don't really understand why it is that we struggle so much to be honest about that. It is hard hmm. to love somebody your whole life. R- relationships are right. hard. They're yeah. hard, and there are things that people do, sinners do to each other, that are despicable. I do it to people, they do it to me. It, it's hard. So why can't we just admit that and then move on to the point where we say, right, so there are going to be moments in my relationships with people, whether it's my spouse or my work or whatever, where I'm going to need the help of a community of people around me mm-hmm. to, try, to try to bring restoration, to try to bring healing, godly counsel and wisdom into that. But for some reason, we feel like we've got to put on the happy face and make sure everyone thinks, especially in our town here, that everyone thinks that we've got it all together. Look at us. We've got a nice clean house and a nice clean outside, and our kids are all really good and stuff. But behind the scenes, like, she hates me, and I don't, I don't, don't, don't know what I think about her. Mm. So I get really – honestly, right now, I'm 43 years old, and I, have, I feel like my peers right now, late 30s, early 40s, people who've been married for, I don't know, 50, for 20 years or so, are regularly calling it quits. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know, you've you've had it long enough to know that you just you're you're angry enough at all the stuff they've done to you at this point. And I, I just I just want to say, let, okay, let's admit that. But before we make any decisions, before we even go down the path, let's honor the words of Christ here and and say we we are committed to making sure that marriage is something we stick with as much as we possibly can. Just totally go for it with that, and that's mm-hmm. going to require some help from the local church or some friends or others. Mm-hmm. And that might mean us to be vulnerable, but oh well, we're not perfect, so we can be vulnerable. And there is help available. V- very, yeah, obviously here from, from Northview, we've got a whole department that kind of helps people with that. So we take an offering every month at all of our services that helps fund specifically none of this money goes into the church or our ministries. It just, it all goes back out to helping people. Right. So some, some of that will be pay, help to pay for some counseling, offset right. some of the costs. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't actually believe that that people should be given necessarily free counseling all the time, but that we can subsidize and, and help. Sometimes we do give it free depending on the financial yeah. challenges and these sorts of things. But yeah. We have a team of pastors here, and often they might meet with you one time or just a quick conversation or something. They may send you out. They may be able to meet with you right. um, here in, in, in our offices. But help help is available, so we want to encourage that. Again, if you have any questions or discussions you want to have, extra at Northview dot 
Or do you guys want to do another one? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Preparing for disaster. What do you guys think? So, uh, partic- no. no. I, I'm against it. Are okay. you against it, Greg? Are you against it? I'll be for it. You know what? <laughs> no. You, you should just uh, live by your feelings, man. Okay. Just you don't need you to. About? You don't need to prepare for any kind of eventualities and stuff like that, like disaster. Disaster is not going to befall you. You'll be fine. <laughs> That's why I don't have insurance. Totally. <laughs> Jesus is my insurance. <laughs> I feel like this is the, what the question is going to be about. The question has two parts, so I'll try and meld them together as best as I can. Um, but essentially, you know, there's all kinds of natural disasters that are sort of we're doomed for, right, that are kind of promised to come our way. To what extent should we prepare for these events? Um, and, and can we go too far as to no longer trust God that, yes. he'll, that he'll take care of us? And how do we handle this balance? <laughs> Part number two is specifically with uh, this listener and, his, and their wife purchased a home, and it seems like there's insurance for everything. Mm. And so where's the line? Where's a good balance of, you know, taking care of being a good steward of what you do have? I mean, insurance is there for a reason and we should use it. But when, when is it too far? For example, you know, there's home, fire, flood, earthquake, all these kinds of things. So what do you guys think? So I'm, I'm sensing in the, if my seamer is working. <laughs> it's probably it, not. It seems to me that what this questioner is trying to get at is, is, is there an amount of financial commitment that we make to insurance that is a demonstration of our lack of trust in God to provide for us and to care for us. So that's we're, that's we're the nugget I'm hearing. Question. Well, that's what I'm hearing, kind of from both. Is right. the first one's about destruction and can God provide for us through insurance? Yes. Okay. Definitely. I think the question so, is though, like, are we are we at risk of not trusting yes. the Lord to be spending too much money on insurance? Yes, you can end up thinking that. Through my insurance, I have my entire life taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's the kind of culture we live in, right? We live in a culture in which we want as much control as possible. We want to hedge every possible bet. Um, and, and, and in fact, that's how a lot of every, you know, our consumerism works, is off of fear. And so, mm. unfortunately, a large part of our culture is driven by fear because it gets you to spend money. Well, it's an idol, idol of control, right? We think that yeah. we're more in control of right. things than we actually are. But, but, I don't think that this, the, the, the answer, the repentance from the idol of control is necessarily the abandonment of insurance. Right. Think They're, of, think of even automotive insurance. Right. So I, this well, is something I... Well, and one, in one sense, there's the legal obligation right. of insurance. And then in the second, that there's just wisdom. Theologically, though, don't we want to say that God uses means? This yes. is one of my challenges with a lot of these kinds of questions is like, okay, so either we have insurance and we don't trust God, or we right. don't have insurance and we trust God. One negates the other. Yeah. Uh, well, hold on. God uses means to provide for us. It is wise for you to have insurances. It is. It's absolutely wise. It's actually quite a lovely thing that we live in a world where you can actually buy insurance for, for eventualities that are pretty highly likely. I mean, for car insurance, for example, it's hmm. you, chances of you having an accident in your lifetime, very high, pretty high. Thus, the chances the of law. you having, <laughs> right. having health problems in your lifetime, yeah, pretty high. Right, the dental crowns and stuff. Yeah, they're pretty high. That you're gonna you're gonna do that. So it's it's actually wise stewardship for you to have insurances for those things to pay into the system so that you at some point can get it out and not be financially ruined. Um, so we want to make sure that we understand that that in and of itself is the insurances are not in and of itself a bad mm. thing. It's godless insurance that mm. we're concerned about. That that is the problem. And yes, it's a temptation for us at all times for us to think that we are in control of things because 
uh, because we have everything sorted out without without God's help. Mm-hmm. Now, some people will take this fear to such an extreme that they want to, you know, they they want to have control of absolutely everything, and and then they begin to, you know, fixate on all sorts of possible natural disasters, you know, from a tsunami to earthquakes to you know the zombie the big apocalypse. One, man. The big one's coming. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and so then all of a sudden we start digging, you know, you pull out the shovel and you start digging these bunkers in your backyard. And, mm. and we, What's wrong we, with my bunker? Well, you never invite me over. That's the problem with the bunker, Jeff. <laughs> so has, I, got, I got water to last a long time. Man cave. <laughs> it has Wi-Fi. <laughs> totally. And Fig Newtons. A lot of them. Uh, Cherry so Dr. Pepper. This, this, is where, this is where I would argue. <laughs> Sorry, keep Dude, going. Dude, I'm hoping for the apocalypse because <laughs> I got a lot of Twinkies out there. <laughs> Go ahead, Andy. Oh, are we sure? Is there any other no, ridiculous yeah, thing you need <laughs> no, to say? No, we're good. You got enough Twinkies keep, in there, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Keep doing your serious thing. Thanks. I'm going to get back to the serious, Andy. <clears throat> so I would say then <laughs> that uh, this, is, this is the part, though, that concerns me is because then we just start getting crazy, mm. right? And now the fear controls us to such a degree that, that we aren't trusting on God, and now we begin to embrace things to such a degree to the point in which uh, it begins to harm you. Uh, in fact, it's interesting, in Ecclesiastes um, chapter uh, chapter 5, the, Solomon speaks about this. He says, I, I've seen wealth hoarded to the point in which it harms people, and I've seen wealth lost to the point in which it harms people. And, I, and, and it seems to me that there's this balance to be struck, mm. right, where I'm not, fear isn't driving me to such a degree that I'm hoarding everything, and then at the same time, not to such a degree that I'm wagering everything. When you just when you're buying in your insurance, there are questions. You, in real practical terms, there are questions that you should ask yourself: hmm. uh, Is this enough insurance, and is this too much? Okay, am, am I am I looking f- to this insurance to provide me uh, a security blanket that 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 I know is God's alone, or do I see this insurance? as God's means of providing for me. And when you go and you sign your check for insurance, nobody does this, by the way, when they sign their check. Do you thank God that we live in a world where I can, mm. I can actually do yeah. this and that he actually can provide for me through these sorts of means? And it's not just me. He provides for, like, provides for lots of people this way. It's part of God's common grace. So I, I just think that those should be the mental things, those things that we should be going through and thanking God for these things while we do it. But at the same time, acknowledging, Lord, you are a sovereign king, and you are my, my great desire, and you're the one who's going to take care of me in the hour of my need. Mm-hmm. Can, I think there's something else that needs to be said here as well. And, do, you uh, want me to, do you want me to say it? No. I'm or you want to do it? I'm going to do it. Okay. <laughs> that's all right with you. Uh, the, we have this, this crazy fear of death mm. that is in the West uh, to, to, such, to such a degree um, that that we, we, we forget that everyone's going to die, and that, in fact, God is quite okay with you dying, and that this isn't, the, you know, a, a terrible thing, you know, your, your death. This is, this is the fate that we all are going to face at some point, and you cannot control everything. Okay, can I, can I push back a little bit, though? Yeah. I, I, I totally get what you're saying, Andy. I agree that, that part of living in a fallen world is that we die. I just tend to think that the Bible's posture toward death is that it's an enemy to be resisted, that it's actually not natural, that what's natural is that we live in the garden forever and ever. And, and I, I understand what you're saying. Our culture 
has, is a godless culture that thinks that death is the end of everything. So I, I agree with you that, yeah, in a fallen world, we will die, and God is going to take care of us. There is a life after death, so we don't need to invest everything we do have in, in you know, comfort in the here and now. I just don't want somebody to hear us as saying, oh, death is a good thing, or it's something that God likes. I think God hates it, and I think He's going to destroy it. It already has. Agreed. Uh, the thing that goes through my mind is I just think about the natural, the natural um, implications of some of this. Like right now, Google, for example, has a project. Uh, I'm forgetting what the, the name of the project's called, but ultimately it's to develop artificial intelligence oh, yeah. to the point in which, you know, you could download all your memories totally. or, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So it's, it's some way of trying to achieve eternal life, right? That Which is funny. I can hedge all of my bets. Dude, uh, and in, in, a, in a materialist world, they're doing this. Just think about that for a minute. I mean, mm. by, by the very idea that they're going after it, they're acknowledging that there's an immaterial person mm-hmm. that can be preserved beyond the body, beyond the, your brain. <clears throat> I, anyway, that you can. That What if we could get to the point where we could download everything into some massive computer? You, you would become disembodied then. And what would a naturalist world say about that now? What? what that you... The what? It's not physical, like this thing. Mm-hmm. Although they were able mm-hmm. to turn it into bytes and all sorts and quantify it, I guess. So I guess your consciousness is now physical. What? I just... There's such... I get so frustrated with the There's culture a big because disconnect it's such that a, the worldview is so bizarre, right? Oh, let me let me give you a piece of the bizarreness to me. I was coming across this the other day. I was reading in a psychology journal just talking about how uh, challenging how we objectify people, right? And that we look at women or men as, as an object, but yet at the same time, what should be we looking for? Well, they said we should be looking for inner beauty. <laughs> but there's no... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. So, by apparently, your chemical reactions have yeah, some sort of inner beauty. I, yeah, you can't have it both ways. That's what I'm saying. You can't, on the one hand, act as if the immaterial soul is real, and then on the other hand, act as if the act as if it's not existent. You, you have to pick one of these. So I guess that that's my point, though, back to this, is that we understand that, yeah, there's there's a physical world taking place, but there's also a spiritual world yeah. taking place, and that our trust is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. Yeah. What? Which reminds me, I have to go renew my volcano insurance. Do you actually have volcano insurance? <laughs> no, I don't. Dude, Mount St. Helens already went. <laughs> Dude, Baker's going. Is it? Oh, yeah, it's going to go. When? It is an active volcano. We're long overdue for a for a uh, an earthquake. The big of, one. Of colossal proportions on the west coast of North America. So, so yeah. I so mean, there. I do have earthquake insurance. Do you? I do. All right. But I live on a hill. I have glass insurance. <laughs> so I guess if my glass gets broken out, then that's a... You get that covered. I got that covered. <laughs> so do you, have, you, don't have, you don't have earthquake insurance? I don't know if I do or don't. Do you have flood insurance? I, I, have, to, I have to renew my insurance right now. <laughs> my, uh, and I'm, I, the, my house insurance. And uh, I'm not thrilled with the price right now. So I'm doing sh- a little shopping. But he out there wants to sell me oh, gosh. some house insurance. By the way, that's the most painful thing. Contact Ezra as a, at <laughs> org. As a U.S., you know, formerly U.S. resident uh, living here in Canada, everything is twice the price. Uh-huh. I, I paid half for car insurance and half yeah. for home insurance. It's painful. What's What's more annoying and frustrating is uh, my wife won't appreciate this, mm. but she did have a very, very minor 
collision in a parking lot mm. where the speeds were less than probably two kilometers per hour. Very small, very insignificant. No longer a five star. <laughs> right. Long story short, the the damage, the, the people made a claim, blah, blah, blah. The damage was about 900 bucks. So our options are now go through insurance, make a claim, lose the, lose a big significant portion of the discount. Like I think it's yep. 30% or something you lose. Or you just pay the thousand bucks, yeah. nine hundred bucks outright. They're gonna get their money. They, oh yeah, yeah. Don't you worry, bud. Yeah, threefold. <laughs> There's a reason that they post profits every year. It's just very, very interesting that you pay into this, and here you either gotta decide yeah. what's worse to take the hit yeah. or to just shell out the dough. Well, there you go, bud. Anyways, that's why you should just wing it. <laughs> so how do I do that? Uh, just no, forget, forget about all the insurances and just wing it. <laughs> Don't do. pay it. Ah, uh, nothing bad's gonna happen. <laughs> it hasn't yet for me. Except anyway, the big one. Right on. So if there's, again, like I said, if there's anything you want to talk about, you want to hear us in- engage with or wrestle with or current affairs that you think we may or may not know about, you want to hear us weigh in on, uh, please let us know. Extra at northview.org. Um, other, in other news, Blue Jays are out. I'm disappointed. Uh, the Flames are tanking no, this year. Why are you talking about this? Not one person here cares about the Flames. Everyone cares about not, the Flames. Not one Very person. few of us care about it's the Blue Jays. It's a hockey team. It's a hockey team. Blue Jays are baseball. No, I know. I know what they are. I know, Not everything's I about soccer. Or it brought great football. joy to my heart to see them lose. Ah, it's okay though. I guess if you flip your bat, there's a little bit of, you know. That was cool though. Yeah, it was so cool. The that bat he, flip he mocked them. One guy the next day put put it all over social media. Got a tattoo of the bat flip. He totally should do that because yeah. you know, ten years from now, that'll be a. It'd be so cool. Still, you know, still trending. I know. On I, Twitter. know I actually know a guy. Who attends our church? Who's got a Chicago Bulls tattoo? <laughs> really? Yeah, from the night. Like of Rodman and stuff, or no, what? Like, oh, come on, Michael it's a Jordan. Bull, it's a little Chicago Bulls. The, He's not even a fan of. With like four of the six championship no, rings on it. I just think it's funny. <laughs> Sports are very transient. They don't last. All right. Well, there you go. Yep. It's been good talking to you. Thanks a lot for joining us on the Extra Podcast. <laughs> this has been Jeff and Greg and Andrew. And Andy, Greg, you got something to say? The last thing to say? Better be good. I do not. See, that's how I feel. And there it is. Do that to me. <laughs>